And we're going to look at a couple passages that describe Jesus' prayer life. So in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus' prayer life was real. It was authentic. It was deep. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It was a priority for him. It was important. It was important enough to stop what he was doing, the busyness of life, to get away and to pray privately. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And I love this picture because it's just like, it looks so serene. He's just there spending the night talking to God. It's just an awesome thing. And this was before he chose the 12 apostles. And so before big decisions, Jesus would just spend time just talking to his father. Luke chapter 9, verse 28 to 29, it says, About eight days later after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. His prayer life was powerful. It was transformative to the point of light, beams of light were coming out of his face. It's never happened in my prayer life. I certainly feel different after prayer, but I've never seen that happen. So they saw Jesus' prayer life, and they're like, I want to pray like that. I want to learn how to do that. It is powerful. It's authentic. It's real. It's a priority. And so Jesus responds to this, and he teaches them, and he teaches us how to pray, how to pray like him. And he gives us some important ingredients to prayer. And um, if you go back to the original text, it goes through, um, you know, we, we call it the Our Father, it's the, the Lord's Prayer. Um, there's a lot of different names for it, but it's, it's this blueprint, it's this structure that has some key ingredients in it that are supposed to, to guide us and to navigate us through our prayer lives. And here are some of the key ingredients in that prayer. It's personal or relational. So he says, Abba, right? Our Father, right? We can come to God as a Father. There's a reverence too. Hallowed be thy name. And there's this idea behind that that that's, we want your name to be revered, not just in my life, but in this world. Hallowed be your name. Kingdom first, talks about kingdom come, that, that God's kingdom would advance in this world, that he would win the battle, the spiritual battle. There's the idea of dependence. Give us this day our daily bread. Like each day we need you, God. Each day we depend on you for every breath we have, every meal we have. And just like Santi says, sometimes we can forget that, that I'm, I'm breathing right now because God allows me to breathe. We're de completely dependent on him. There's this idea of confession and forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. So we would be coming to God with our shortcomings, our weaknesses, our sins, and also find forgiveness for other people in our times of prayer. Lastly, there's this grace and protection. Lead us not into temptation. God, protect us from temptation. Keep us from it. Keep us strong. We need your grace. And this is our supposed to be some great um, practicals and blueprint to, a, to an awesome prayer life. But without, without the heart, this becomes what it's become in a lot of places, which is just reciting words. 
And so then Jesus goes on to teach the heart behind praying, which is so important. And so we don't have to pray as a, he's not trying to say this is how, exactly how you need to pray, but have a prayer life that includes these ingredients, right. right? And then he goes on to teach the heart, which is awesome because how we come to God in prayer or how we view God in prayer, it matters. It makes a difference, right? How you go to how you go to God, like anybody you're going to with anything with a request, it kind of matters how you think they're gonna respond, right. right? Before you even decide to go to them, you're like, all right, you're kind of weighing it out, like, is this gonna go good? I don't, you know, I don't know. So it's important that we know more about God and how He hears our prayers, how He feels about our prayers. So in the following verses, which we're gonna dive into, we learn two very important things about God, and we learn something very important about us. So the two things we learn about God is, 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 is his honor is at stake in our prayer life. So he has the honor of a neighbor, of an amazing neighbor, and he has the love of a father. So we're first going to jump into that. It's God's honor. So if you go to verse 5 of Luke chapter 11, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So this, this passage is a little bit tricky to... Um, to draw out culturally and also in a translation, but we're gonna we're gonna do that, and it's it's deeply meaningful for our lives. So so bear with me on this. So here are the people that we need to understand. So the sleepy man is a. It's not trying to say this is how God is. It's somebody that we're supposed to learn something about God through. So there's the sleepy man, and then there's the host, right? So there's this story of someone comes to your house in the middle of the night, and you in your mind and your hospitality. Right, if that's your gift, you're like, okay, I gotta take care of this person. Right? I gotta give them food, I gotta give them a place to stay. And, and we have a notion of that in our culture, but in Middle Eastern culture, it was, uh, this was everything, hospitality, in this community. This would be like kinda like what the sleeper's home uh, would look like. So, so, so a friend comes to you in the middle of the night, you don't have anything to give them, you go to your neighbor's house and say, I don't have anything to give my friend, can you help me out? That's the, that's the situation here. And, uh, and so obviously you, you can see why he has some issues about I'm gonna wake up the kids because everybody slept in kind of this whole area, right? So you see that in their minds in, in the Middle Eastern day, that would be like kind of, like, you know, all right, I get that because all you guys sleep right next to each other and it's, it's, if you hear the guy, everyone's gonna wake up. So Jewish hospitality was sacred. And um, I'm just gonna read this to you guys from... Um, you know, somebody who's a, a student of, of, of studies in the Middle East. It says, hospitality in first century Palestine was a deeply ingrained principle. In a village, hospitality was not only an individual requirement, but a community requirement as well. If a guest was visiting a family in the village, the guest was considered to be visiting the whole community. In this case, the need of the man hosting his friend would become a community responsibility. As such, it was the duty of the sleepy man no matter how inconvenient, to get out of bed in order to help the neighbor with the three loaves requested. 
None of Jesus' listeners would refuse to get out of bed, no matter what time it was, to help a neighbor in need. It's because the honor of the community was at stake. And so the right way to read this passage, or really how it reads, is can you imagine having a guest and going to a neighbor to borrow bread, and the neighbor offers ridiculous excuses about a locked door and sleeping children? The Middle, Easterner, the Middle Eastern listener responds, no, I cannot imagine such a thing. So Jesus was saying, suppose, and that's rendered like, could you imagine? And our answer is, no, I couldn't. They're, gonna, they're thinking in their minds, I couldn't imagine this guy not being willing to. So in verse 8, we see that the sleeper's honor is at stake. And, and really how this is, is, is I tell you, even though the sleeper inside will not get up and give the petitioner outside because the sleeper inside is his friend, yet because the sleeper inside wants to be shameless, that is, he wants to avoid shame, the sleeper inside will rise and give the petitioner outside what he needs. And so it's actually a, it's a mistranslation in the NIV where it's referring to the subject as the shameless audacity of the neighbor. It's really the, it's a desire to avoid shame that the sleeper has, which is why he gives the gift. Does that make sense, you guys, with me so far? All right, so what, is that, what does all this mean for us, right? Is that God's honor is at stake when we need him. The honor of God's church and his community is at stake when we go to him. And what this pastor is saying, if this guy's willing to do it, and not, not because he's a friend, but because his honor's at stake, how much more is God, who is a perfect friend and actually cares about us, willing to answer our requests? So we can't inconvenience God. We don't inconvenience God with our prayer life. You know, and I shared this story, a little bit of it, at the uh, All Connecticut uh, service with my epic, uh, traumatic bike ride with Jeff Sackinger. And it was just, it was, it was, it was really hard for me. I was dying out there. And I mentioned it, I referenced it, where we were crossing from one part of the woods to the others, and, and there was a, a male lady, she was giving out, you know, she's doing the mail, she's taking a break. And I, and, I, and I see her, and I'm like, I'm so dehydrated. I really don't know if I'm going to... I don't know what's gonna happen. I might pass out. I might become a sermon illustration of Jeff's for, I don't know, not giving up or something. You know, so, you know, my honor was at stake, right? And so I see her, but, but I didn't worry about inconveniencing her. I asked her for water because I needed it. I needed water. And, and she didn't give me the water because we had this like close friendship because I didn't know her. But it's because she's just the type of person to help a dehydrated young suffering boy. <laughs> with water when he needs it. That's the type of person she was. It was her honor, right? It wasn't because we were that close. And so with God, his honor is at stake when we go to him. Of course he's gonna listen to us. Of course he wants to hear us because he has a sense of internal integrity. So you're not burdening God with your prayers. He desires to hear your prayers. He wants to hear them. And I think a huge reason we don't ask for help in general is because, you know, we don't want to burden people. We live in this highly individualistic culture. Middle Eastern culture is so different than this. But we, we live in this culture where we don't want to bother other people. We just kind of like self, self-sufficiency is the idol, it's the premium. We, we worship at the, the throne of self-sufficiency. And so we don't like asking for help, right? And so, and we can take that to God sometimes. So how we don't say, I, I, I don't want to burden you, but we kind of feel like, I don't want to burden you, God. No, 
God wants you to burden him. It's not a burden. Go to him. He's willing to answer your prayers. Second thing we're going to talk about is God's love in this passage. His love is like that of a father. And he desires to protect us from harm. It says in verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so we have to know that God loves us. He's a good father, and he's more than willing to give us good gifts, more than the good gifts we can ask or imagine. But here's the issue. What's considered a good gift to me may differ from what is a good gift to God. And so this passage is saying that God will not give us things that are harmful to us. He talks about a snake and a scorpion, right? He's not going to give us things that are harmful to us, just like a, a father wouldn't give something that's going to be harmful to his kids. And so God says no when we ask for things that are dangerous to us. But he gives us good gifts all day long. So, for example, if you had a, a child and you're, you know, you're cutting food, getting ready, and all your, all your child can see in their limited experience is there's something shiny, right? That looks fun, you know, what my mom or my dad is doing. And so they start to cry and they start to beg for, for that knife, that shiny thing that you're cutting your food with. And they're like, I want it. I want to play with it. I want to enjoy it like how you're enjoying it. You know, it looks fun what you're doing. You're cutting up food and we're going to eat. And I want to do it. I want to I be like you, right? And so you as a parent, you're going to say no. I'm not giving that to you. And your kid's going to kick and scream and cry because all to them it's just a toy that you're withholding from them. But, it, but you know that that's going to harm them if you give it to them. So you say no out of love for them. Not, be, not because you don't love them. It's because, you, in fact, you do love them, which is why you say no. And, and that's something that I see in youth and family and even my own life that's a, that's, a heavy, that's a heavy burden that I think for a parent, it's the hardest thing to do to say no sometimes, you know, especially when it, it's, it's meaningful that they're going to cry, that it's going to be hard, that, that to say no is sometimes the most loving thing that we can do for one another. And so... God saying no to some of our prayers in no way invalidates his love for us. Right. In fact, it proves that he loves us. The same way when we say no to things that are going to harm others around us, we still love them. And so what are these good gifts then that God is more than willing to give us? Come on, it's, it's talking about, there's a reference to and you'll see here at the end, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so this can either mean Holy Spirit that we receive at baptism or post-baptismal strengthening uh, that we can get from God. And so, but, but basically there's an idea that the good gifts that we're asking for that God is, our Father's more than willing to give us is spiritual in nature. The things that we pray for that are spiritual in nature. So there's an assumption in this passage that, that the, the petitioner, of, the, the biggest thing that they're praying for is the Holy Spirit. That that means the most to them. Right? But the spiritual blessings, does growth spiritually mean the most for us in our prayer life? To be filled with God's Spirit, is that something we're praying for? 
Does that even matter to us? Because God's, God didn't say, how much more will the Father have to give you a million dollars to those who ask? Right? It's not saying that. It's saying the Holy Spirit. It's talking about spiritual blessings. Are you asking for spiritual blessings or just material changes around you? In Psalm chapter 73, verse 25, it says, Who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Do we feel this way? If you had one request that you could ask God and you knew 100% it would be answered, what would you ask? That's an important question. And Solomon had the same question posed to him. And if you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5 through 10. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5 through 10. It says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant. And you can hear the, the Lord's prayer in this, right? You can hear those, those things that God says, This is how you should pray, right? You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on this throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth, not for the health and wealth. You didn't ask for that. But it's because you asked for this spiritual gift of wisdom. Because you asked for that. And you didn't ask for the death of your enemies. Right? Oh, they, I, I pray they change. I pray they just grow up. I pray they just mature. You didn't ask for that. Right? In verse 12 it says, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. So there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Then he goes on to say, I'll also give you riches. He didn't even ask for it, right? So there's the all you can ask and imagine. What is the greatest spiritual change or transformation you need in your life right now? What is the greatest transformation you need? Something I'm really praying a lot for is just a deep security in God. It's just to walk around, opinions all over the place, social media everywhere, news on, that I could just walk around and be so secure in God, so confident in God's love for me. That's the spiritual transformation I'm praying for in my life right now. What are you praying for? What's the spiritual transformation, the number one thing you would ask God for right now? You know, and if you're not sure if you have a right relationship with God, if you're not sure, you know, your sins have been forgiven, then the biggest spiritual need is, is to be led on that path, to get God's leading and his guidance down this journey of figuring out how to step into his grace, how to step into communion with him. Amen. But what else? Having a relationship with God, trying to know God, studying the Bible, trying to understand it. We could pray throughout that whole process. Is it loving people more? Is it being wiser? Is it being more bold or confident? Being more self-disciplined? Let's go deeper in our prayer life. So, so, so check this out how this works. So rather than praying 
for God to give me a million dollars. I'm not, I'm not saying we don't have to, we don't ask, it's wrong to ask for material changes around us. God doesn't say that, right? But, but, but just stay with me here. Rather than praying for God to give me a million dollars, why don't we pray for God to grant us contentment with what we have? Don't both prayers meet the exact same need? Right? So rather than praying for people to change so I can love them more, why not pray for my heart to grow and its ability to love? Right. Don't both prayers answer the same need? Right. right? Rather than praying for this or that to change, why not praying for ourselves to change? Right. It's the same need that gets met. And that's the good gift that, of course, God is going to answer. But we don't know God's will for other people. Right. We don't know how me winning, us winning a lottery is going to affect the salvation of others around us. Right. We, we don't know the big picture, but what we do know is God wants to give us good gifts. Yeah. So we pray for fruits of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those are things God is willing to give us. But why don't we? Why don't we pray for spiritual transformation in our own life? Come on, Pat, help and I think one of the biggest reasons is, is pride. I think it's because it's hard to go to God and say, God, I need help. I need strengthening. Because we have to admit that there's something, there's a weakness in me. Yeah. And we don't like to admit weakness to anybody, let alone God, right? So, it's, so the idea of even that we would go to God asking, like Solomon, I'm just a little child, I don't know. How often do we pray that? Like, God, I'm just, I don't even know anything. Like, just help me. Because we have to admit our weakness. And so it's much easier to point the finger at circumstances around us and say, I'm not who I need to be because you're not who you need to be. I'm not who I need to be because my circumstances are a certain way. But God is willing to answer our prayers. And I know there's a, there's a lot to, to why we can give up on prayer. But God is calling us and Jesus is calling his disciples to this awesome prayer life that we can have. And we can rededicate ourselves to this type of a prayer life. And so, lastly, the last thing this passage teaches us is a lot about ourselves. And it teaches us that we are prone to lose faith in prayer. That there's a reminder here in verse 9 where, where it says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to one who knocks, the door will be open. So this, this passage imply, implies persistence in prayer. And it's often tied with the, with the parable of the persistent widow who just keeps going to this judge, right? And so that there needs to be a, a persistence in prayer in general. Now listen, there's some times where we're praying and the answer is no. And, and this isn't saying that you should just keep badgering God until he changes his mind. There, there does come a time where we have to say, okay, God, your will be done, right? Just like Jesus, just like Paul who prayed for the thorn to be removed. And finally, he realized very clearly, very obviously that the answer was no. And he just said, okay, God, your will be done. I think that's hard. We can take no as like God never heard me, <laughs> right? Like, oh, he doesn't listen to my prayers. No, it just was a no, right? In his goodness, he knows. And so we have to be persistent in our prayer life in general, even through the no's, even through times of discouragement. 
You know, the parable of the, the persistent widow, like she didn't, that story is all kinds of cultural stuff all over it also to, to draw out, which we won't do right now, but she didn't have anybody to advocate for her. She didn't have a, a husband to go to this judge. She didn't have a bribe that she could bring to the judge to be heard, which was common in that day. All she had was her persistence. That was it, to have her case heard. And, and there's this reminder of like, just don't give up on your prayer life. In general, it's like, I'm not talking about your specific prayer for this specific thing, but just your prayer life in general, don't give up on. But why do we give up on pray, prayer? And I know there's a lot of reasons to that. And, it, and it's, good to, it's good to think about so we can fight back, right? And, and, and I know for me, I can feel like, you know, no one really wants to help me. Like I, I kind of got to do a lot myself, right? The self-reliance. Uh, it's like, that's a lot of talking, but we need action. Right, I gotta do something, I watch a movie, and it's like, oh, I'm fired up now, like Gladiator, let me go do something. No, it's like, why don't I just go do something in prayer, right? You know, we can feel like I don't deserve to have God answer my prayers. There's so much sin in my life, so much stuff going on that, that God doesn't want to hear it. Uh, he's tired of hearing from me. I don't, you know, another thing is we can believe it's not that powerful. That's not really, it doesn't really work. We can feel unworthy. We can feel like he doesn't listen. There could be too much pain. And this is a call today where Jesus talks about teach us to pray. That we can get on our knees like this and pray for spiritual transformation in our lives. Yes, we can keep praying for circumstances to change. That's not wrong, but, but that's, that's more of a we don't know what God's bigger plan is there. So we don't know how those things are going to get answered. But when we pray for our spiritual awakening, our spiritual transformation, those are the prayers that will get answered. Right? And so let's recommit ourselves to an awesome prayer life. He's the perfect friend, the perfect father, the perfect judge. Let's renew our faith in the power of prayer and get back to as a church, as a community, praying together in this way that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Jesus teaches us to pray. Will we listen? Thank you. service.